0: Hey, well, uh, we are in week two of a series. Uh, we started it last week. Uh, may have not been the best idea to start it on a holiday weekend, but uh, we jumped into the book of Philippians. And uh, Philippians just tells uh, the story of the Apostle Paul connecting with some people that he loved in a city called Philippi. Their are friends, their are ministry partners, and they're separated by a distance. And so uh, this is this, this correspondence. And uh, there's so much in this book, and, and we're going to jump right into the passage uh, this morning. and, and the passage uh, that we're looking at, the Apostle Paul is going to share his story. So in other words, instead of telling us what to do, he wants to show us how he lives. And so he's, he's going to crack open the door of his heart for us. And we get to kind of just peek through it and get this glimpse of what it is that, that makes his heart beat. And so as, as we do that, um, as we get to, to follow along and hear his story and listen to what he tells, uh, as he tells the story of his life, we, we also get the chance, I want to invite us to, to, to consider for our own lives, what story does our lives tell What is driving your life? What is it that makes your heart beat? And uh, we're going to compare that to to Paul. So we're in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to jump right into it in verse 12. And here's how he starts. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ." And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All right, so so he starts this passage with this phrase, I want you to know. Um, See, Paul realizes that his Philippian friends are concerned about him, and that's because they knew something serious had happened to him. Uh, Paul had been thrown in some kind of worst-case scenario, uh, the kind that no one anticipates or plans for. Uh, maybe, um, maybe that's been a part of your own story as well. Maybe, maybe it's something that happened on the other side of like a 2 a.m. phone call or a, or a visit to the doctor or a meeting with the principal. Uh, there's these moments that, that we find ourselves thrusted into situations that we never thought we'd ever be in. But there we are, and, and those moments have a way, oftentimes of, of just bringing into sharp focus what really matters, what really matters and what doesn't really matter. And, and so for Paul, his worst case scenario was that he was, he was in prison, and um, you know, we can't be sure about a lot of the details, so like. We don't know uh, whether he was imprisoned in Rome or in Ephesus or somewhere else, and we also don't know what it specifically was that landed him in, in jail. Uh, we don't know how bad the conditions were or how he was being treated, but what we do know is that uh, Paul wasn't under some kind of like house arrest situation. Uh, he was in a detention facility, uh, the kind that there's walls, there's walls, and there's locks and there's guards and there's change and all of that. And we also know that, that back in that day, uh, there was zero regard for the humane treatment of prisoners, right? We, we know that much. So there's no doubt that this truly was a very serious situation that he was in. And of course, that would be why his friends would have been so eager to hear some kind of update about how their friend is doing. And so this is the update. Paul updates them, and what he shares with them is this, that even when things were at their worst, the Lord was still at work. That kind of sums the whole thing up. He found out that even prison provided a platform for advancing God's purposes. And for you and for me, I, I wonder if we could just somehow look at our own situation through his eyes through, and see what, what, what Paul saw when he was looking at his situation, if, if maybe we'd also come to see that even when things are at their worst, that the Lord is still at work. Now, now let me just stop and ask a question to you. Um, here's the question. Think about this one. Is there space in your life for a story like that? Um, you see, this story, is, it isn't about God setting Paul free from some kind of setting he was in in some kind of supernatural way. This story is about God setting him up, and in the midst of a challenging situation, setting him up to accomplish his supernatural purposes. Now, personally, given the choice, I would much prefer the first option, right? The one where God sets me free from my situation and my suffering instead of the second option where, where he sets me up in my suffering. And, and of course, this book has plenty of stories like that. They're all over the place. Paul even played a major role in a few of them. One took place right in the city of Philippi, in the same city where this church that he's writing to was located. It's recorded in Acts chapter 16. It happened after he and his, his ministry partner, Silas, they got beat up, they got thrown in jail, and in the middle of the night, they start praying and they start singing. It says they were singing hymns, but... I have a sense, I I have a hunch that it might have just been the very first version of of Jailhouse Rock, Uh, because after they sang, um, the earthquake, the doors opened up, and Paul and Silas were miraculously set free from their prison, from that situation. God can do that. He did that, and he still does that. We fully affirm that he still is in the business of doing miracles like that. Amen? Yes. Um, Here's the thing. Those are not the only stories God writes, right? And Paul had the sense in this situation that he was in to not demand that God do an Acts 16 encore, right? He could have done that. Like he could have said to Timothy, okay, here's how this is gonna go down, When the the clock strikes 12, we are going to start singing, we are going to pray at the top of our lungs, and everybody get ready, watch out, because it is all going to go down. Trust me, I've done this before. I'm an expert, right? You're going to love this. And then when they did that, right, the walls didn't start shaking. And so, of course, we must have got the formula wrong. What did we do wrong? Who doesn't have enough faith here? Come on, let's muster it up and try it again. Now, that's not how it went, right? Paul had the sense to see that God works the way God wants to work. And the same God who sets us free may at at times choose to set us up. And we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with that? He sets us up in situations that may be less than ideal in order to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And I think that's good news. It may not sound that way at first, but I think it is because here's the thing. Either way, we are going to have to suffer, right? We cannot avoid it. Like it or not, we're going to find ourselves in situations where things are just not great. It's an inescapable reality for every person on this planet. And by the way, if you're able to avoid them, by all means, go for it, right? This is not an invitation to suffer, as if there's something inherently good with it. But here's the thing. When you can't get around it, this is what's important to grasp, that it's never for nothing. That's, that's the good news, that, that the pain that you're in is not purposeless. So know that you are where you are for a reason, and, and God is present, and he has put you where you are, for a purpose, in other words, God is sof- is sovereign even when you 're in that worst case situation, and that means he's in charge, and it means that he intends to work through a bad situation to accomplish something good i, I don 't know if you remember last week if you were here, uh, we started out on this letter, and we saw that Paul introduced himself. not as an apostle, but as as a simple servant of Christ. And here, I think what he's doing, he's he's giving us a glimpse into what that looks like. Because here's the thing about servants. Servants don't choose their settings, right? Servants just simply serve in whatever setting they find themselves in. And so when that starts to click, when we get that, it changes something, we do more than just trying to endure or escape or, or ignore the suffering and the situation. We start walking through it with some kind of anticipation, maybe, maybe an expectation of finding out, what am I here for? What assignment does God have he, me here for to accomplish? And you kind of just look around for it, see what he's up to and, and what part you play, and, and you jump into that. So here's here's what that looked like for Paul. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served a greater purpose. He says this prison cell has provided a platform for the gospel to advance. So another question. Here's a question that we live out the answer to on a daily basis. This is it. What am I willing to? to endure suffering for? What, in my estimation, is worth enduring and embracing in a setting that is less than ideal? And by the way, the answer to that question isn't going to come from our lips. It's answered by by the way we live out our lives. It's really asking the question, how willing are we to live beyond ourselves? Or are we just interested in what God, what can you do for me? How can you make my life better? Um, what are we willing to live for that's bigger than just ourselves? Most of us, I think we would say we're we're willing to sacrifice our comfort, our convenience for for certain things, like for the sake of our family, our children, our friends, our loved ones. we just say, yeah, they're worth it. I'm in and little bit of an aside here. Got thinking about this this week, and I think that maybe in large part, when we start to identify those things that we are willing to suffer for, we start getting to the places where we find meaning and purpose in life, all right? Um, And here's the thing. So many of the messages that get pipelined into our heads on a daily basis is the exact opposite. We're told that what matters most is pursuing privilege and comfort and luxury and do whatever it takes to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. And I don't know, it kind of just makes me wonder, is this pursuit of privilege taking place? And we're getting more and more of it, and we're getting less and less purpose in life. So that's just something to think about. But Paul's story here. Um, according to Paul, he sees this gospel. This gospel falls into the category in his mind as something that's worth suffering for. He's willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He says, so that the gospel could advance. And so so those who, who didn't know might hear God's message of amazing grace. so let me just let me just talk about the gospel, because that word may be not obvious what it actually means, And, and it is really the major theme, uh, not only of this passage, this is what Paul's entire life is what his whole story was about, the gospel. The gospel is God's good news about Jesus Christ. It's the message that announces who He is and what he's done. The good news. Uh, which is what gospel literally translates as, is, is that there is hope for broken down people living in this broken down world because of Jesus. Because the sinless son of God left his throne in heaven. He broke into human history. He lived, he died, and he rose back to life. And when he came, he came to suffer for our sake, He willingly embraced that ultimate worst-case scenario for you and for me. He went to the cross. He gave up his life in our place. He did everything that had to be done for us to be accepted, fully forgiven, and seen as God's cherished children. And three days after he died, Jesus rose back to life to make sure history would have a record to prove that the sacrifice he made was sufficient and to show for once and for all that death would never again have the last word. The gospel says that Jesus didn't do all that he did because somehow we earned it and we had it coming to us and we deserved it. He did it because we needed it. It's what we call grace, grace. And it's what makes the gospel message of amazing grace so amazing. And, and life and forgiveness and redemption and hope and purpose, all of those things are bound up in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And the good news is that they are there for anyone to grab hold of by grabbing hold of Jesus, by, by trusting in him in faith. And that applies no matter who they are, where they come from, what they look like or what they've done. That's God's gospel message. And in prison, here's Paul, and he's, he's speaking this gospel. He is finding out firsthand just how powerful that message is. So, He's in chains, and so he's, I'm going to share the gospel with those around me. And he tells his friends back in Philippi, you're not going to believe what happened. More people heard about Jesus. He says the imperial guards and the other prisoners and the rest, whoever they were, they all never had the chance to hear about Jesus, and they've heard about him. That wasn't the only thing, though. There was a residual effect as well. He says, something else happened. He says, there's brothers in Christ, the ones that are, that are on the outside, and they're seeing this all play out. They're hearing the stories, and they're inspired. They're emboldened. Before, they were kind of just timid and, and fearful and insecure about sharing the gospel. But when they see what's going on within this prison, they're, they're seeing the effect it's having, and now they're, they're sharing Christ with confidence, with conviction, and with boldness. And Paul says, I'll take that. He says, in my book, that's a win, and I'll sign up for that every day. See, here's the thing. Paul's story is a reminder to us. Kingdom advancement it's kind of inconvenient. Have you noticed that? It seldom fits seamlessly into our schedule, into our calendars, into our, into our day planners. There's a, there's a price to be paid in order for that message to advance. And it also reminds us of something else, that whatever the cost, the price is always worth it. Because the gospel is that powerful. Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's, that's the, the potency of this message. It's like, I'm going to speak it. The Holy Spirit is going to ignite it in people's hearts, and lives are going to change. And this is how it works. So let me just clarify for a moment When I talk about the message of the gospel, I'm not talking about the message of religion. Two very different things because religion is all about following list of rules and trying to do enough good things so that you can maybe eventually earn your way to God. Be somehow good enough so God will let you through the doors and accept you. And of course, from one religion to the next, the details are going to change about what the rules are, but the purpose is all the same. Earn God's approval through human effort. The gospel is completely different. It has nothing to do with what we have to do for God. It's the announcement about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, no amount of human effort Is ever going to be enough to make anyone right with God. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. The gospel tells us about everything that Jesus did and that he did it all. And that the only way anyone gets right with God is by the grace of God, by trusting in what Jesus has done. And the truth be told, there is no other message in the world like it. And Paul actually, he actually reordered his entire life for the sake of sharing that message. The gospel is what made his heart beat, is what he was all about, seeing that message advance, making Christ known to those who had yet to hear, no matter what that actually became the axis upon which his entire life turned. It mattered more. It mattered more than anything. It's kind of fascinating. He doesn't even fill his friends in about how he's doing. All he cares about is how the gospel is advancing. So let me just take the opportunity to ask you, has that message found its way into your heart? into your life? Have have you responded to that good news personally, to the reality that there is a need in your life that is completely and utterly beyond your ability to meet? And what Jesus came to do, he did for you. So you can stop trying to achieve it and you can receive it instead. So you can learn what it means to live life in faith, with Jesus in it, that response is, is where the grace of God becomes a part of our stories. And it starts with just a simple prayer of faith, a prayer that just says, Jesus, I, I want to open the door of my heart to you, and I trust that what you did, you did for me, and I'm ready to do life with you in it. You know, for those of us who are doing life with Jesus in it already, and we're following Christ, this passage and this story, it reminds us of how much this message matters. It reminds us that this message has been entrusted to us, and we have the the opportunity as well as the responsibility to, to share it, to embody it, to, to live it out with clarity, with, with sensitivity, with conviction, with authenticity, and with patience and, and all that. And like Paul, to, to make it the major theme of our own stories. And Paul's going to go on here. He's going to give us a quick snapshot of what that looks like in real life, of what we can expect to happen, even on a relational level, when we start building our lives on the gospel and make it the axis upon which uh, our own lives turn. So here's what he says. He says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You know, I think a lot of times we often live life with unspoken expectations. We all have them. And oftentimes we, we bring them into our walk with the Lord as well. We live our lives with God with these unspoken expectations. One of them is this. Lord, I'll live my life for you. I'll even suffer for your sake, for the sake of making Christ known, just so long as blank, right? And we fill in the blank with all kinds of things. Um, Oftentimes, that blank gets filled in with this. I will suffer for your sake, for the sake of making Christ known, just so long as people like me, as they appreciate me, they approve me, and they recognize how much I'm doing for you. It's not too much to ask, is it? Well, I probably don't have to tell you if you've been about kingdom work and ministry for any length of time that it is. <laughs> there is a very good likelihood that, that what happened to Paul is at some point going to happen to you, majoring on making Christ known, it doesn't just mean saying goodbye to a pain-free life. It also means saying goodbye to that need for people's approval. Because Paul here is talking about some people, and I don't know, the way I'm reading it, it seems to me like these are some professing Christians. These These are believers. Uh, I don't think they're false teachers. They're sharing the right message with the wrong motives. They're fueled by some kind of petty rivalry. They they, they have an ax to grind with, with Paul, and now that he's in prison, they've got free reign on all the people he's been ministering to, and somehow they're trashing him, even as they're exalting Christ. We don't know the details, um, But again, if you've been in ministry, if you've been doing um, kingdom work for any amount of time, you know what that sounds like. You've heard those voices, right? You understand the reality that everyone isn't always going to like you. And people can be petty. And Christians are no exception, unfortunately. Uh, I've watched people kind of just I am disengaging from from doing critical kingdom work because everyone isn't always on my side because everyone isn't always on board with what I'm doing because even though 99 people approve, there's one person who's just this squeaky wheel and I can't stand that. Welcome to my world, by the way. (laughs) Um, It comes with the territory. And here's the thing servants, again, Paul understood this, that servants, they live to please their master. So he just refused to let that need for people's approval get to him. But then there were others. There were, there were those who, who knew that they were, he, he knew they were sharing the right message with the right motives. They were doing what they were doing out of genuine goodwill and love And man, that's a beautiful thing. If you've experienced that, you know, there is nothing like having a team, a band of brothers and sisters alongside you, knowing that you're on the same page with them, you're about the same purposes, you're doing it the same way, and life is good. But then look at how he ends the story. What then? That's his question. What then? You got some people who like me, some people who don't, some people who are for me, some people who are against me. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. You know, there is a whole pile of expectations that he had to drop in order to say that. Piles of them. You can just think about how many expectations just had to be let go of in order for him to, to say that. And and a lot of times we struggle with that because it's a direct hit on our egos. Or at least for me, it's a direct hit on my ego, and I feel it. <laughs> um, to Paul, the goal was not to get everyone to like him, the goal is the gospel. It's to proclaim Christ. It was, I don't care what people are saying about me as long as they're telling other people about Him. As long as the gospel is advancing, I'm going to rejoice. It's a pretty good strategy, and it's a pretty good story. But I wonder if in some of our lives, maybe there, there needs some things to just get released so we can kind of make that a part of our story as well, right? So what? What then? I think he's kind of saying, who cares? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's the only thing it takes to put a smile on my face. Gospels pushing forward in people's lives. That's going to get a round of applause from me, no matter what they're saying, critical or commending me. That's what matters most. It's what, what matters to Paul. And so it challenges us, as we conclude here, to, to ask ourselves, what's our story? What is it that matters most to us? Is it, is it to live a pain-free life? Is it the pursuit of comfort? Is it to get people to like us and to earn their approval? Or you can just fill in the blank with whatever else it could be. But here's the reality. God is at work in this world. He is at work in whatever setting you find yourself in right now. And the way he's at work is directly tied to this gospel message, to the reality of that Jesus has come, that he has conquered death, and that he's coming again. And let's not miss on that being the major theme of our lives and our stories. Let's pray together.